Today on Agnews Daily. Uh, when we were at Commodity Classic, the two-year yield was one one ten over the 10-year yield. And what that means simply is that the two-year yield was yielding 5.10 and the 10-year was yielding 4.0. Yes, sir. It's Lenny and Tanner here back in Iowa, March 13th, Tuesday afternoon, recording of the Agnews Daily Podcast. I got back to snow flurries. There was snow on the ground, Lenny, but I still saw some snow flurries yesterday afternoon. Yes, I pulled into the Des Moines airport. Well, the airplane did rather to lots of snow, and I was not super excited by that. Yeah, I know there was quite a few flights that got misdirected there was probably quite a few of our commodity classic friends that were trying to get back to the midwest on saturday evening that were left on the ground something like nasa had a launch that cleared all the airspace Mm. there in northern florida uh, area so quite an interesting turn of events when the skies are clear and you still can't take off i don't think i heard about that one that's interesting yeah, absolutely. But weather seems to still have a little bit of news for us today. More snow is expected to fall in the Wisconsin area, as well as flurries in Oklahoma. So quite an interesting division of fronts as those come through. That light snowfall may develop and continue throughout this afternoon in northwestern and western Oklahoma. That dusting of snow could cause a very slippery surface, but won't stick around very long down there, Delaney. Well, that's good news for those folks, as many people are gearing up for planting season, Tanner. We heard some trickles about that at Commodity Classic last week, but all in all, it sounds like many farmers are ready to hit the fields. Yes, it does. And there's a lot of people excited, probably a little bit too late to uh, implement new technology on their planters that they saw at Commodity Classic. But yes, it sounded like quite a few folks were excited to get another year off to a good start. Absolutely. But we also saw on Friday, I missed this, aside from Tommy Grizzafi, who we'll have on here in just a while to chat markets, did a really interesting presentation on Friday morning titled, Who You Call Inflated? We'll get his take on that here in just a little bit, Tanner. But he shared some interesting news on Friday that happened after we recorded the podcast. There's a bank in Silicon Valley that U.S. regulators shut down on Friday after it was revealed that SVB or Silicon Valley Bank had a 2.25 billion with a B shortfall just 48 hours earlier on Wednesday. It sounds like there were people that were getting concerned and kind of seeing a mad rush to the bank. People were pulling out money and SVB Bank could not cover all of those withdrawals as well as just regular operating uh operating notes, et cetera. And on Sunday, they shut down the New York-based Signature Bank. SVB Bank Tanner was the second largest bank failure in U.S. history. And that has some concern looming here over the weekend as to what is going to happen. Is the Federal Reserve going to step in? Will people get their money back? And will farm or will customers have access to those funds? Yes, absolutely. It's been catching a lot of headlines. Uh, President Biden did make an announcement today saying that taxpayers will not bail out the Silicon Valley Bank. However, the FDIC will manage to return deposits to the depositors there. Uh, Biden called for investors being on the hook and they will be the ones that face losses, not those that are the customers. There are signals a lot for additional banks that might 
end up in the same category. Like you mentioned, another coming out of New York. We'll wait to see if more happen to be shut down. Regulators did step in Sunday to fully protect the Silicon Valley Bank depositors. Senator Warren did vocally criticize the customer protections as she was lobbying for millions of student loan borrowers that are still left in limbo. Stated it's quite interesting to see how quickly the Federal Reserve moved to ensure the deposits of a failed bank, but yet not those of student loan borrowers. Uh, borrowers have lot yet to get their relief as it is held up in uh, court on that side of things. Of course, this shutdown caused a chaotic few days. Like you said, a large run on deposits, nearly uh, $400 million in investments was triggered, like you said, prior to the announcement of the failure. And that number nearly doubled for those trying to get their money out since then. Of course, we continue to see updates on analysis as to what's going to happen next. But the biggest piece is this is not a bailout. This is not a forgiveness of debt. The shareholders and bank management will still be on the hook for these funds. It'll just be paid in the form of uh, retribution or additional premiums to the FDIC, because that is an insurance. Um, it will not give any type of guarantee to depositors, but regulators are standing in there to try and make them whole. So it's not considered a bailout but it is definitely the way uh, that we like to see how things play out if additional banks will fail, because there's a lot of call, Delaney, for this feeling eerily like the 1980s bank failures. Mm -hmm. And this will be a roadmap to see how things will be handled going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you have more follow-up to this whole story, Tanner, because I obviously just knew the first pieces of the puzzle. Yes, and it'll be interesting to see how it continues to play out. You know, news is both coming quickly and very slowly in this topic. Um, I had a significant number of meetings and phone calls today already at my current bank mm -hmm. asking about concerns. And uh, probably the advice I can give to most listeners is don't be afraid to call in and ask, but make an observation as to the loan portfolio of your bank. For example, Silicon Valley was very highly invested in loans to startups and tech companies. And we've all seen how tech stocks have fallen as of recent, you know, if you're working with a community bank such as ours that does ag loans and commercial loans and home mortgages and auto loans and small business loans, that's pretty diversified. You're not relying on one sig signature market to be successful uh, to where things are spread out. But if you're at an ag only bank or a commercial only bank, uh, then you'll probably want to do a little bit more investigating as to the safety and soundness of the loan portfolio. Um, but we're here to take phone calls. Every banker would tell you the same thing. What a good plug, Tanner, for bankers everywhere. Yeah, community bankers for the win. <laughs> well, switching drags here a little bit. Russia has taken some aggressive positions as far as the grain corridor deal. As we know, that's set to expire here very quickly, Tanner, in the month of March. And over the weekend, we got a few headlines here coming out of Russia. The first of which happened Sunday, where Russian foreign ministry said that Russian representatives had not yet taken part in negotiations on extending the Black Sea grain deal. They said there have been no negotiations on this subject, especially with the participation of specifically Russian representatives. The next round of talks on extending the deal are going on today in Geneva, and we have an update from that 
round of discussions. Russia announced today that they are ready to renew the deal, but for a much shorter time. Moscow says sanctions have created barriers for their exports, and the deal is aimed at preventing a global food crisis, but not particularly aimed at necessarily scratching the back of Ukraine and what they have to export. Moscow is suggesting that the renewal of a deal will be short, only 60 days. Tanner is what they're looking at doing this renewal for very, very short. And so then we'll have to come back to the drawing board if it is only renewed for 60 more days. That does seem a lot shorter than what we had expected. Another short answer might be coming from the Federal Reserve. The Fed right now is also under strike due to SVB's collapse. One of the top economists in the U.S., Mohammed Al-Iran, is calling for them to stop their interest rate hikes, saying that this collapse of this bank is a telltale sign that the inflation battle needs to be over so the United States economy can rebound. The immediate move in the two-year bond market points to what sentiment is in the country. There is also a significant retreat in short-term interest rate markets that are publicly traded because of the fear delaying of these banks failing. Uh, we could see the Fed continue to look at uh, providing additional sources of funding to the U.S. economy, but their biggest focus right now is super core inflation. I know a lot of our listeners are hearing that in the news and may not fully understands that, but it is a more focused effort on looking at the services provided in the industry rather than the prices of goods. Delaney, the factors for real estate markets are always lagging, but when they can look at price indexes of services, such as lawyers, plumbers, gardeners, hairdressers, they can get a better feel for exactly what the U.S. citizen is getting for expenses, and those levels are really high. So now it's going to be a battle at the next Fed meeting is looking at super core inflation and looking at bank failures if we have more coming down the pipeline. Uh, and we'll continue to see this. But the reason they are paying attention to this is it takes out the overarching lagging factors and tries to get a more zoomed in approach on the cost of labor and the cost to live within the U.S. to better gauge the impact of wages and prices for those living in the U.S. So it'll be interesting to see, Delaney, now that the Fed is taking shots from a couple of different angles as to if we'll see interest rate hikes. Yeah, I think a lot of folks are expecting we still will. That was kind of Tommy's sentiment on Friday when he spoke about inflation and interest rates and all that stuff. But time will tell. And I'm going to take us back to Ukraine and Russia here for just a moment, because I had a few other headlines I forgot to mention when I was getting through that there earlier. Not only did we see the meeting kick off in Geneva today, but we also saw President Biden is suggesting that the U.S. defense budget needs to increase and have more allocated for Ukraine and their future war efforts. Biden requested the defense budget to be a total of $886 billion, which includes a 5.2% pay raise for troops and the largest allocation on record for research and development 
with Russia's war on Ukraine, spurring demand for spending more on munitions. This request earmarks $842 billion for the Pentagon and $44 billion for defense-related programs at the FBI, as well as some dollars for the Department of Energy and other agencies, Tanner. But we also saw here, coming out of Ukraine, that they are facing a lack of herbicide and pesticide shortage for the spring planting season. Ukraine farmers are well underway already to get their crops in the ground. And according to some new estimates here, they're expected to have only around 35% of their total herbicide and pesticides that they need available for the 23 growing season. That is, uh, I'm glad that you hit those headlines because I hadn't caught either one of those myself. I was distracted by a 5,000 mile blanket of seaweed that can now be seen from space and is threatening the beaches of Florida and our Southern ecosystems. Every year there is a seaweed bloom called the Great Atlantic Sargasm. It's hard to find that true because it's so close to the word sarcasm, but the sargasm belt is one of the largest on record for this year. It now stretches 5,000 miles and is a massive algae that is threatening wildlife, infrastructure, tourism, and agriculture along both the southern U.S. and Mexican borders. This enormous carpet of seaweed stretches 5,000 miles and is causing an increasing level of concern. It's the largest seaweed bloom and weighs nearly 20 million tons and can be seen from outer space. It's incredible, says research professors at Florida Atlantic University's Harbor Branch. We're going to see this on satellite imagery, but that does not bode well for a clean beach year. And then they go on to continue to state those that deal with offshore agriculture are going to struggle with crops and production this year. So maybe if you have a favorite seafood, you want to stock up on that because we could see price hikes in that side of the sector. And the last headline before we get into markets that I've got, Delaney, uh, as a lot of my news today was financial. The Kansas City Federal Reserve Bank released their results based on the surveys of ag lenders in the area and showed that farmland values only rose an average of 15% in 2022, but the sentiment from lenders going forward is that it won't see that much increase. Net farm income, a measure of farm profitability, was at a record high during the last two growing season, but bankers don't see levels maintaining. They're blaming a lot on higher interest rates, higher input costs, and tempered commodity prices. So it looks like here, the plain states are the ones showing the largest potential value for increase in land going into 2023. Benchmark interest rates have surpassed the returns on farmland to owners that are not actively farming it. Land is accounting for 80% of farm assets on bankers' balance sheets, and farm loan interest rates have doubled over the time from when this survey was conducted in 22 to 23. So quite an interesting result there to add to the financial news. But that's the last piece I have. How do markets close today on Monday? Markets closed pretty ugly here, especially in the soybean complex today as markets trended lower. May soybeans down 15 and three quarter cents at the close, settling at 14.91. New crop soybeans lost 18 and a quarter cent to close at 13.39 and a quarter. In the corn contracts today, we also saw some movement to the downside as the May contract shed three and three quarter cents to close at 6.13 and a half. December new crop corn closed just a half a penny lower 
at 557 and a quarter. In the hard red winter wheat pits today, they were the only grain market here really to finish higher on the day as May wheat added two and a quarter cents to close right at $8, Tanner. As we have a look, hop over to take a look at the livestock pits today, April live cattle finished 72 and a half cents lower at a buck 63.55. April feeder down 57 and a half cents on the day to close at a buck 97.07. And April lean hogs down $1.22 and a half today to close at 86.22 and a half. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Tommy Grizzafi. Well, folks, we are joined today by Tommy Grzafi with Advanced Trading Inc. Tommy, I know we got to catch up last week at Commodity Classic, which was super fun. But for those of our listeners who missed Commodity Classic, you happened to speak last week with your speech titled, titled Who You Calling Inflated, which I happen to love. So great marketing there. But uh, tell us a little bit about what you touched on last week at Commodity Classic. Oh, well, thank you for having me on, We And thank you for coming to the talk. Isn't it like from, uh, uh, thank you for coming to my talk. Um, (laughs) Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. Well, we talked about inflation, something, fortunately, you're not old enough to remember. And there were some older people in the crowd, and it really resonates with them. A couple pointers. We had five tips. Uh, Number one tip I gave them was to listen to the podcast, Escaping 1980, a seven-part series on... uh, the 1980s that was recorded two years ago and listen to the things they talk about in that podcast and how much things had changed. Of course, in that podcast, they talk about how we didn't have inflation, even though the government just printed or gave away $4 trillion, not only our government, but other governments. And now we do have inflation. So as you listen to the podcast, you know how the story ends. And while I was speaking live, one of the major banks in America was literally going bankrupt and insolvent, which we call that a run on the banks, kind of like the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And we were talking about the 210 spread and that moved dramatically today. Uh, when we were at Commodity Classic, the two-year yield was one 110 over the 10-year yield. And what that means simply is that the two-year yield was yielding 5.10 and the 10-year was yielding 4.0. Now, our young friend Tanner is on this call and he knows a little about banking and the yield curve and all that other stuff. Now that's into 0.75. So just in two, three days, the two-year yield has had its biggest move, wait yes. for the punchline, since the 1987 stock crash. And we've seen, uh, I'll, I'll leave your listeners with this. When the president of the United States comes on national TV, regardless of who the president is and everyone's political beliefs, and said everything is fine in the banking system, we might have a problem. Oh, wait, that just happened. It did. It did. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it is what it is. And our government will step in and do the right thing. Here's here's where people are questioning that. Is do they. When Lehman went broke and Bear Stearns went broke, the United States government was very truthfully, uh, they they picked and choose which banks make it and which didn't. So what this brings vulnerability to is, okay, a bank failed. It it was a huge tech bank. There's crypto risk. There's this risk. There's counterparty risk. There's uh, the word systemic, which is complicated when you talk about systemic risk. 
well, how does the United States government get to choose who makes it and who doesn't? So, for example, if if Delaney and Tanner are big farmers and they go bust and the government saves you, but then your neighbors are big farmers and go bust and they don't save them. How does our government know how to pick and choose the winners and losers? And that alone scared Wall Street tremendously this morning. Yes, I mean, I, I hit a little bit on our news in this episode today. There are certainly more details that come out, but it is quite interesting. Also, the way that they are publicizing this is not a bailout. It's a consumer protection or a deposit protection move so far, and that it will still come from FDIC premiums as far as insurance goes. So it'll be interesting to see just how deep those premium pockets go and what effect that has on the rest of the banks in the industry. And of course, what other news comes out in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So you hear things, Tanner and Delaney, like Canary in the coal mine and everything else. What's so fun and interesting is we were in that crowd, that great crowd at Commodity Classic. Uh, and we were talking about the intensity of these rate increases that even though rates were much higher in the 80s, the intensity of where we started from in the, it would be like a plane just taking off from the runway and instantly being at 8,000 feet where we've taken off. And when, when the United States government or any government raises interest rates, it typically takes 12 to 18 months for you to see what that's done. Well, we had very aggressive uh, rate hikes towards the end of 2022 in the beginning of 23. And here we are two months in and we're having the largest bank failure since 2008. That would mean where there's smoke, there's fire and there's a lot more bad to come. And it's very much tied to the tech tech wreck in California and cryptocurrency and the fact that there are assets that are decreasing hugely. They're not making, you know, someone has an investment, say, for example, this bank that went broke. If Delaney and I were at Commodity Classic on Monday and bought a share of that company, it was worth $350 a share. Now, all that share value is lost, I believe, Tanner, but the government's trying to save deposits, which a typical person at a bank in Iowa can put up to $250,000 and be insured by the FDIC. But these companies in California and all over the country, they were making and moving hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, if you had $100 million, what are you going to do? You, know, you open 400 savings accounts. So this is big, big business that way exceeds. I want all the good folks listening who work with small regional banks like yours and everyone else to know, I'm really confident their money is safe. And if they were worried about it, if they had a million dollars in the bank and help me out, Tanner, you could open four different accounts and you've probably helped people do that before, correct? Yeah, there are definitely ways to make sure that your deposits are federally insured, whether that's through titling with heirs or beneficiaries. Um, But yes, most certainly, uh, as I echoed, give your banker a call. There's a reason that they are a community banker, even if you're working with one of the uh, air quoted too big to fail banks. um, I'm sure their phones are just as busy as ours have been today, but you can certainly call call for advice. And that, that was one thing, too, I find interesting. Tommy, as you looked at the amount of deposits that were large within that SVB bank. And, um, you know, one of the companies, for example, Roku had hundreds of millions of dollars there that accounted for 26% of their assets. Um, So that's interesting just to play out to find out who was actually utilizing that facility. 
and what news will look like going forward. But I think we've talked enough about that side, don't you think, Delaney? Should we get into what markets look like? So tell me, as we look at charts here for today, soybeans had a pretty hard sell-off across all contract months, old crop and new crop, both. What's going on there? Uh, look at what positions the funds are holding. They're holding a really long soybean, a really long meal, long corn, and a very short wheat. And when funds need money, you think that they sell everything, but they get out of profitable and even sometimes not profitable trades. Well, they have very profitable trades in beans, probably not so much anymore in corn after last week's sell-off. And they have an extremely large uh, short position. The hedge funds have a short position in wheat and look like they covered some of that. We opened 10 lower in wheat and immediately traded 15 higher. That was real buying as funds cover. When there is problems in the financial system, people tend to start liquidating positions, run for save, safety. Hence, why gold, as we speak, is on the highs, up $50 on the day, 1918, 1918, last price in gold. Uh, that was 1850 just a few days ago. So big flight quality in golds, the bond market, wheat, corn, and uh, beans. Now, the conundrum when you look at commodities versus interest rates is the very thing the government could do to help provide liquidity would also cause more inflation. And we talked about that in the speech that the very government that created the inflation, now everyone's asking them to make the inflation go away. And as banks fail, they say, well, isn't there anything you could do? And as bailouts mm -hmm. start to show up, regardless if they call it any term they call this, Someone printed money and gave someone money who didn't have it. That is inflationary. So inflation's going to be around for a long time. Yeah, and it looked like corn was mixed today and obviously stayed out of the highlights a lot. But ethanol might be rolling back into the headlines. What does that look like? Well, ethanol's uh, going to have some headwinds as uh, driving demand and everything else changes. Obviously, there's a lot of things happening politically with the farm bill. And also, the aviation fuel is a very, very hot topic. So will the ethanol industry slowly start to get a little smaller? And will aviation fuel and other biodiesel biofuels, will that really be the next uh, where ethanol was essentially like 20 years ago? And maybe you all, I wasn't able to take in all the meetings, but I bet you there was a lot of talk of carbon and sustainable aviation fuel down at Commodity Classic. Yeah, so Tommy, as we uh, crossed crop insurance off of our lists and we have that floor set for spring prices here, what's kind of the message you're sharing with grain farmers here as we head into planting season as far as managing their risk? Well, we have to call our crop insurance agent here within the next day or two, lock in crop insurance. I you might want to buy up if you were a 75% crop insurance guy or gal, you might want to go up to 80. Talk to your crop insurance agent, talk to your banker, look at where the market structure uh, was set during crop insurance and where it is now. And the United States crop insurance program is the cheapest put in the industry. So if the government wants to insure your crops and price, let them do it. What else are we missing in the headlines on today, the 13th looking at markets? Uh, I am caught short Bitcoin at 23,000 and it's trading 24,300. I am trading e-mini micro Bitcoin and I'm not quite sure why Bitcoin's up 4,200, but the fact that Bitcoin's up 20% a day, I find absolutely fascinating. Fantastic. Oh, makes you wonder, <laughs> makes you wonder if that's tied to any of the 
conventional banking news that has come out of the headlines. But yes, thank you for sharing that. Delaney, you got anything else? I don't think so, Tommy. Just let us know how to get a hold of you if any of our listeners have follow-up questions. Absolutely. Uh, Kamai Classic was a blast. Hope to see you guys again down there and, and your listeners. 1-800-664-4383. Lots of uh, changes happening in the world. Grab someone who's older than you and get some education, folks. Well, there you go, Delaney. Hopefully... Our listeners weren't too bored with the bank talk, but it is certainly a big headline. And it'll be interesting to see how many more times this week in the next two we report on bank failures. Hopefully it's not a lot, but I expect there to be more to come. Yeah, that's probably not a great headline for folks working in that sector, but I'm glad to hear you and Tommy dissect it because I've been wondering some of those questions and I bet our listeners were too, Tanner. Absolutely. But for today, what do you say? Should let the listeners go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 